This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. So I love that our listeners get graced with a new episode every Friday, but they get the blonde portion of the WOMED every single Monday that and Tuesday blonde. if they she want. She ain't blonde anymore. <laughs> it's She's like not sh- blonde anymore. What do we call pumpkin you? Spice? It's a pump. It's giving me pumpkin spice. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> well, you're blonde on the show, but... So they're seeing you still blonde on the show. But anyway, you know, I do just want to check in with you because, Mm -hmm. you know, as a female in my 30s, around most of the women on this show are in their mid-20s. You, first of all, you look incredible. I know we try not to, you know, compliment each other so much on our physical Mm -hmm. appearances because we are so much more than that. But you look fucking stunning. You look incredible. But I'm just curious, like, how is it? I'll be honest, like it's been I've been like really hypercritical and I don't like that because it's like me Mm. personally in my day to day life. I fucking love my body. I feel so at home and at peace and like hot in my body and like my like I just feel so connected with myself. And then, you know, once you open up the floodgates to what everyone else thinks about you, it's like. Ooh, are they going to see this about me and like think this or they can do so i'll be honest i've been i've been a little hypercritical which i don't like but you know thank you Mm. to my therapist who reels me back in and teaches me (laughs) some more boundaries and exercises Mm -hmm. but yeah that was like a really frightening thing for me like was i going to be seen as like attractive to anybody there because i'm older I've been so out of the game. Like, no one fucking remembers me from paradise. Like, come on. I do. And that's not true. But, I yeah, do. That was, that was a big fear. Like, how do I look knowing that I'm, well, I'm 37. But like, when we filmed, I was 36 you know, a couple mm-hmm. months earlier and mm-hmm. knew I'd be the oldest mm-hmm. woman down there and, you know, things that come with that. But, you know. Yeah. It worked out a lot. <laughs> well, I love your your vulnerability and your honesty because it's very real and it's very relatable. And I I can't imagine anyone being able to watch themselves on TV and not having a few moments of, you know, judging or, you know, some of that negative critical talk. But one of my favorite things about you is that you, you really do truly embody this, this woman that is so comfortable in their skin. So what are some things that you've been doing to kind of check yourself? Because that, that you're right, like that is not usually you. You are usually so confident and so at home in your body. You love your body. So what are some things that you've been doing to kind of check yourself? Honestly, a lot of the things that are that I've gleaned and learned from our upcoming guest, Evian Whitney, mm. just things that make me feel more connected and more grounded, which, you know, you'll catch on the flip side. Well, up next in this episode, but it's a lot of practicing connectedness. So, well... Dee, you are fucking stunning. You look stunning. You Thank you for representing sweet. the 30-somethings out there. Just looking for love and <laughs> looking, looking hot as hell. But you're right. This is an incredible episode. And I think all of our listeners is a great just kind of starting point to start to understand sensuality, how it relates to sexuality, and how you can be a little bit more embodied and in touch with yourself. So we hope you love this one. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the WOMED today. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. You're an author, a podcaster, so many different things. So I would just kind of love to jump in. How did you get started in this work specifically around sensuality? Because there's so many misconceptions, I think, even just with the term sensuality versus sexuality. So how did you kind of create this little niche and how did you get drawn to this specific area? Yeah. I really got into this work from a place of pure selfishness. Like I really wanted to sort through the issues that I was having with sex and sexuality and my own body. And sensuality is an interesting thing because, you know, I grew up in a very conservative, sex negative household. And as I was on this path and on this journey of trying to figure out like what 
does sexual liberation look like for me? What does it mean for me to be confident in my body and able to feel and um, allow myself to desire? Because of the strange and estranged relationship I had with sex and sexuality, it was really difficult for me to think about like who I would be within that realm because sex was really charged. And Mm -hmm. this idea of being a sexual person was really just like, that seemed really far-fetched. But sensuality was something that I could understand. And the way that I came to sensuality was through this understanding of being in your body, that sensuality is not necessarily about sexuality or sexiness, which is, you know, something that our culture talks about a lot. And I think has given us a lot of confusion about what sensuality is. But the way that I reframed it and what was really helpful for me as I was in these very tender stages of my journey was seeing sensuality as a personal and very private, intimate relationship that I have with my body and the way that my body feels and the things that I can do with my body or the the acts of care and love that I can give to my body that remind me of my capacity to feel pleasure and remind me of the birthright that is my pleasure. And, you know, sensuality pairs really well with sexuality because I don't think that we can have amazing sex without being physically in our bodies. So, yeah, I I have gone on quite a journey of this work and, um, you know, been doing this for about 12 years now. So, yeah. Wow. You also just created a guided journal as well. What was that yeah. process like for you kind of creating these exercises and journaling prompts to help people reconnect with that central self. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. My book is called Sensual Self. And when I was approached to do this book about sensuality, I knew that I wanted it to be not just a book that you pick up, you intellectualize, you get a whole bunch of ideas. Like I wanted people to actually understand, you know, this new framework around sensuality that I was putting forth and then put the book down and embody it, you know, find their own ways of expressing their sensual selves and exploring the nuances and like the little intersectionalities that come through when we are in that space. Because I think about sensuality as being so much more than our physical bodies. It's also our emotional bodies, you know, like how can we be fully in our pleasure if we're not fully in our bodies? And how can we not be fully in our bodies if we're not allowing our emotional landscape to be what it is and to have a really close relationship with our emotions and the parts of us that we aren't feeling comfortable with? So a lot of my book is about like fun, pleasurable acts that you can do, prompts that will get you really thinking about your senses and pleasure and what it means to feel good. And then there are other prompts that's like, check in with your emotional self today. Like what's coming up? And like, what is something that you don't want to feel, but really like need to feel today? So it's it's this beautiful mix of like pleasure, but also emotional intelligence and just like what it means to hold space for yourself. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on the book. I know just, you know, through following you and just you posted just like the simple act of like putting like lotion on like and like I really start like I've really made that a part of like my nighttime routine. Like after I'm, you know, I've been peopling all day long and just kind of doing so much for, for others that like my routine at night is like my routine. I take a nice hot shower and then I get my like really oily lotions. And I just like, it's not the act of putting on the lotion, but it's like feeling your body and just yeah giving it some actual love and attention for all the hard work it's already done for the day. And it's just this really, it's a simple thing, but it's it's just, it's just very connecting and grounding. And I can't not do it now every night. Yeah. I mean, practices like that are really powerful. They're simple, but they're powerful. You know, I mean, we spend so much time out of our bodies, you know, when I think about how we're on social media and scrolling through feeds all day and, um, you know, we're navigating through the world that is often trying to take us out of our bodies or just doesn't feel safe enough to fully be in our bodies. And so those practices 
like I, I want to say here that like dissociation, disconnection from your body is a natural part of being human. I think those things can get like a little, we can get critical on ourselves about it. Like, oh, I should be embodied all day. But like, there are going to be times where you feel disconnected and that is a part of survival. And that is okay. But I think it's important to not have that be the baseline for you. That like disconnection Mm -hmm. is your go-to. It's what you know the most. Like being able to carve out times and spaces for you to connect to your body to remind yourself that you are a soft, tender animal that needs love and attention and time and space and care. Like even just the simple act of putting lotion on your body or washing your hair, like if you go into that with that intention of tending to yourself, it becomes this really beautiful practice of self-connection. And a lot of what I talk about in my book, Sensual Self, and also on my podcast, Sensual Self, is about these practices. Like how can we create spaces for our bodies to speak to us because our bodies are so intelligent? You know, how can we make space for pleasure to be the compass that we use to bring us back into connection with our bodies? And how can we do that in ways that are doable, that don't feel like, well, I have to block off two hours on my calendar and like, find a babysitter, like that would be wonderful. And I encourage folks to do that every once in a while. But I really want to make pleasure and sensuality and embodiment very accessible to people. And it can start with exactly what you're talking about, like taking time to just like oil your scalp, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) put some lotion on your elbows and like do that with the place of like, oh, hey, body, thank you for like being there for me today, you know? Yeah. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. So our listeners primarily here at the WOMED on the podcast are mostly healthcare workers, many of which have worked through the pandemic feeling extremely out of touch with their own bodies, but also with patients. We were so used to being able to touch patients without, I mean, without gloves, not having masks, being Hold able a to, hand, you know? Right. So, you know, I kind of wanted to circle back on, on that theme of that we're talking mostly to healthcare workers. What are some pieces of advice that you would have maybe for not just a healthcare worker, but maybe someone who, like you mentioned, doesn't feel safe in their body, or maybe just even doing these small little practices doesn't feel attainable. What are some like simple ways or like very small baby steps that for someone that's listening, that's, oh my gosh, like oiling my skin, like that sounds, you know, it's, it doesn't feel safe or they can't imagine carving out that much time. What are some little tips that you could recommend? I mean, first, I just want to like acknowledge that like, if you are that person, I get it. Like, I I just really want to hold space for that. Like, I recognize that as I do the work that I do, as I'm in conversation with you all right now, I'm coming from a place of like, ease and accessibility, because this is what I do all day, every day, you know, and this is what I've been doing for, for 12 years. So the way that I talk about it, can make it sound as though like, oh, just take the bottle of lotion and slather yourself with it. And it's like, no, there are people out there who's like, I don't, I don't know where to start. Like that feels really lofty for me. So I really appreciate you calling that in. And I also just want to like lovingly, gently like call in these people and say like, if you don't, I understand the fear and I understand the hesitation and not knowing where to start. But the first thing that came up for me was like, if you don't have time to put a little lotion on your hands, Like, I'm not talking about like a four hour session of like (laughs) feeling every fingertip and every like fingerprint and all of those things. Like, I'm just saying 10 seconds, five seconds where you're in your body. If that doesn't feel doable for you, I would encourage you to just try it. 
to just try it and make mm-hmm. it as baby stepped as possible. So maybe that's starting with three seconds. Like, okay, how can I, and maybe, maybe, you know, I'm even thinking about how like the emulsification of a lotion might be too stimulating for some people, or it might feel like, ah, oh, that's, that's too much. So what does it look like instead to take an even tinier baby step and like, just hold your hands and just feel the weight, the warmth, the firmness, the pressure, the skin to skin contact, and then release it. You know, like it doesn't have to be like this bigger, this bigger practice. It reminds me of a post that you made about taking a hot shower. And it's like, okay, we're all showering. So maybe there's time when you're just taking a shower, you're doing things that you're, you're doing it regardless. So taking a few moments to, can you explain a little bit further in detail about this idea of sensuality? And what does that actually look like? Like, what does that actually look like to kind of bring it in? The way that I define sensuality is, is that it is the practice of paying attention with your senses. It's a practice of being fully awake and alive to the feelings, sensations, experiences, and even the emotions that are coming up for you at any given moment. And as I was saying before, it can be very challenging to live in that space all the time. And so I think it's important for us to take breaks and it's important for us to have boundaries. But I also think that it's very important for us to create practices where we're doing this consistently. And again, it doesn't have to be like an hour long session, but just doing these practices where you're reminded that you have a body, you're reminded that you have feelings and sensitivities and tenderness and longings and desires that deserve to be acknowledged, if not obliged and explored. I I also I want to step back and also say that, like, I understand that in our culture and maybe even for people who are listening right now, they're like, oh, I thought sensuality was sex or sexuality. Like, I thought that it was a synonymous with the word sexuality, that in order to be sensual, I am accessing the erotic landscape. And one of the things that I found in my work is that that is partially true, that sensuality can absolutely work in concert with sexuality. But that's not all sensuality is. I think we we do ourselves and the practice of sensuality a disservice by only seeing our sensual selves allowed to be explored within like this small percentage of our lives. You know, like a lot of us aren't having sex like 90% of our lives, right? Like it's like a small percentage of what we do. And so I think it's, I, I, I would I would grieve for folks who are like, oh, I can only be sensual when I'm in the act of sex with someone. And what I'm looking at, especially for those who are survivors, especially those who have a complicated relationship with sex and sexuality, maybe because they were raised in sex negative households, maybe because they were given, you know, uh, purity culture kind of doctrines like I was given. I want for folks to feel that they're allowed to be sensual and they're allowed to be in their body and they're allowed to feel pleasure and sex doesn't have to be attached to it. That there's an inherent power in being like, no, I'm a, I'm a sensual being right now as I'm speaking to you all. That there's not an act that needs to bring it out of me. There's not a person or a relationship or a sexual position that is going to ignite mm-hmm. that in me. Like I am a sensual being and being able to see ourselves in that way not from this compartmentalized, like fragmented place where my sensuality is over here. And then my rational, you know, logical self is over here, like really blending all of those things together. That is for me, the practice of sensuality, like starting first and foremost with this realization and almost like this declaration that you are a sensual being. And to like, like I even, when I'm teaching workshops with people about this, I even, I have people say this aloud to themselves. And I ask them in that space, like, what came up for you as you heard yourself say, I am a sensual being? And a lot of people are like, whoa, that felt really good. Like, it felt really true. And other people are like, I do not believe that. And whether that response, like whichever response you have, I think cultivating and nourishing a relationship with your sensuality from this place of like not fragmented, but like I am a whole individual that deserves pleasure and to feel safe and seen in my own body every time, every day, every moment. I think that that is what enriches this practice for me. Oh, well, a incredibly beautiful answer to that. 
I definitely grew up in more of like a a sex negative household. It was shamed. I've also been in you know sexual situations that didn't make me feel safe and it's really been like a long practice of coming back to the central aspect and feeling safe in my body from a central side that has now helped me bring more positive sexual experiences into my life. Mm. And I've seen this in my work a lot. Another way of of saying this is like this, this experience of being in your body is often so much harder than the actual like, let's have sex. I think a Mm -hmm. lot of us have been given a lot of scripts about who gets to be sexual, what sexuality looks like, what it means to be sexy. And a lot of us are professionals at um, performing that. Like, Mm -hmm. I know I, I am very, very good at performing what a sexy bitch looks like because I've gotten a lot of models. I've gotten a lot of a lot of media, a lot of images, a lot of stories, whether they're negative or not, about what that looks like. Uh, and so that's something that was coming up for me as I was doing my own work, like, oh, it's I could totally put on the costume of a sexual person. I could totally costume, yeah. put on a performance. Yeah, I could totally put on a performance of like how to be sexy and enticing. But when I was really honest with myself, I wasn't doing that from a place of full embodiment. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. in my body. I was in my head because I was thinking yeah. like, let me make sure that my body looks like this. And let me make sure my face looks like this. And mm-hmm. I sound like, like, Am there's, I doing there's this beauty right? to performance. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and there's beauty to performance, right? Like mm-hmm. I, there's, there's something so fun about being able to put on a sexy costume or whatever to like have fun in the bedroom. Um, but I think a lot of us are doing that again from like this very baseline place. Like a lot of us are approaching our sexuality from a place of like, well, I don't get to be in the room. Like I have to attend to other people's desires, other people's narratives, other people's like whatever they're impressing upon me in terms of like what it means to be pleasurable, what it means to have a good sexual experience. Yeah, this work of sensuality is a lot harder for people because they don't they understand sexuality and sexiness from this like mind thinking place. But when it comes to like body experiencing, it's like a completely different thing. And so a lot of times when I'm doing work with people one-on-one, we like have to stop from the ground or start from the ground up. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I've been having sex for like 20 years. Like, but for whatever reason, it still doesn't feel authentic. Like I still haven't dug out this part of me that feels like a true version of my sexual self. And I think a lot of that has to do with the ways that we dissociate from sex. I think a lot of it has to do with the internalized narratives that we've been given about like sexuality and how it's supposed to look like and all of these things. And yeah, I I think consulting the body and like really just asking yourself like, okay, what does authentic sexuality look like? That's a really good place to start. It makes me think that the ultimate costume that we're talking about when discussing sensuality in terms of sexuality, the ultimate costume being porn and how um, <laughs> I, women, people that identify as women specifically are kind of like uh, programmed to think this is how you yep. look during orgasm. This is how you sound during orgasm. This is how you uh, make your partner feel pleasure. Right. And you always come every single time. Yeah, I, I I have so much to say about <laughs> please, this. Please, please go off. <laughs> please go <laughs> off. Oh my gosh. No, but you're so right. I mean, so I've been thinking a lot about sex education and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, this this attack and this war on comprehensive sex educators that are trying to mm-hmm. educate children in like age appropriate, age relevant ways about mm-hmm. their bodies and consent and genitals and sexuality and gender and all of these things. Wait, I mean, abstinence and... culture doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, really breaking news, everybody. <laughs> abstinence only sex education doesn't work. And I mean, there's so many studies that show that it doesn't work. Like yeah. all, yes. all people have to do is just do a Google and they will find <laughs> so much research and so much evidence that abstinence only sex education does not work. So I'm thinking about sex education right now as we're having this conversation and thinking about all of us who received 
little to zero sex education, particularly those of us who received abstinence only. How did we learn how to have sex? I know I will say for me, it was through porn. That's how I figured out how how to have sex. It wasn't Mm -hmm. through someone sitting me down and talking to me and telling me this is what a healthy sexual interaction between two individuals looks like. This is what consent between two individuals looks Mm -hmm. like. This is how you should know when you are being loved and appreciated and not abused within a sexual interaction. Like if I had had those kinds of conversations, if I had been encouraged to actually find my own sexual voice, even at age 13, 14, 15, I had sex for the first time at 15. If someone had told me about the power of that, I know that I wouldn't be as fucked up as I am with my sexuality today. Yes. And I think a lot of us have those same kind of teachings where we don't have, we didn't have adults who were talking to us in really comprehensive, open ended sort of ways about sex and sexuality. So where did we go? We went to our friends who also didn't know jack shit about what a healthy sexual relationship looked like. And then we also looked at porn. And we all know that porn is not an educational tool. Porn is designed for porn isn't real. Porn is is a fantasy land. Um, Sorry, everyone. Porn is not real. I know. (laughs) I'm just breaking all the hearts today. Um, Sorry for everybody who thought that porn was real. But no, like porn is a fantasy land. There is nothing that 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 is not real sex. That is not real. That is not a real sexual interaction. Those are two actors who are doing a very good job or three or four or five, however many actors are doing a very good job. <laughs> 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 10, 12, 20, who knows? You know. yeah. <laughs> Depends on what They're you're doing into, a very good job at portraying pleasure and sex, but that's not real life sexual interaction. And I think about like, what does that do to those of us who look at porn or look to porn as our sort of role models for sexual liberation, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. which I don't think that there's anything wrong with looking at a sex worker or a porn performer and being Mm -hmm. like, I really like them. Like, I like the way that they do that thing. And I like the way that they show up in this interaction. But if we're deriving our entire sexual identity off of this fiction, this fantasy, Mm -hmm. and a lot Mm -hmm. of this porn is not even meant for our eyes, like women in femme's eyes, it's Mm -hmm. meant for the male gaze. Mm -hmm. It's no wonder why so many of us don't know who we are as sexual beings outside of these narratives of over-sexualization and coercion and, and all of these other things that are just just really gross. I could rant about this for days, but yeah, it's it's a big problem. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. I kind of want to circle back then to just the the idea that we've had this conversation so far about sensuality and sexuality, but most of the sensual work that you're talking about, we did not even bring up the idea of having a partner in this, in that realm, that sensuality, would you agree? Or would you say that sensuality really does have to begin with the self? 100%. I think that when we are cultivating and creating a relationship with our bodies, we first have to create that relationship with mm. ourselves. And that is a really different way than a lot of us have been taught. I know for me, mm-hmm. my sexuality, my sensuality was seen as something that is only activated when I'm in partnership with somebody else. And I'll be very specific. It was only activated when I was with a cis male who was my husband and was able to pull all of that sexuality out of me. And whether or not, you know, 
we've been given those exact words and language, a lot of us were raised with that understanding that we are not sensual or sexual beings on our own, that we need someone or to buy something in order to activate this part of us. And Mm -hmm. I think that tools are great. I think that partners are amazing when they can be amazing, but I don't want to put a lot of importance or prioritize that we are not sexual beings or sensual beings on our own. Like I really want us to start looking at ourselves as fully sovereign, autonomous beings with agency and that we get to decide where our pleasure goes and we get to choose to have a relationship with ourselves that is centered and focused on us feeling good and us feeling safe and taken care of. Like we can give ourselves that. I think one of the biggest things that really rocked my world was realizing that you know, realizing that like, oh, actually, I don't need a sexual partner necessarily. And I'm not talking about like how to have an orgasm, but I'm talking about like feeling safe in your own body, like not needing someone to enact or create softness within me that I can be soft by myself, that I can carve out moments of pleasure and ease and connection, and that they can be just as powerful, if not more powerful than when I'm with somebody else. Not to make it about me again, but I feel I feel like like the act of like reconnecting to yourself and to your body can just be so difficult. Like when you think about, well, at least like when I think about the different ways my body has felt throughout my life at like different like traumatic points, your body's either like in like fight or flight, like holding you physically together or just at a complete state of exhaustion. And I feel like there's just been a lot of different moments where I've had to like sit there and really process what it, everything feels like in my body in order to come back into it or Mm -hmm. get it to a point like when it was physically just holding me together because that's all I could, you know, do to make it through a day. The different moments that actually let my body breathe and like you could feel it just relax into itself even for like a brief moment like sensuality and sexuality it's just it's all connected like your daily life experiences are all connected into this whole like symbiotic relationship with yourself even if you're not having sex 90 percent of the day or your life which god could you imagine that would be really (laughs) i mean that's great but that's that's you ain't going to get anything else done. Um, <laughs> or maybe we'd get a lot more done. I don't know. Just kidding. Yeah, that 10% know. of our lives is going to be really, <laughs> really proactive. Maybe I'm just totally going off on this tangent here. But in order to feel fully connected and feel this like fullness that, you know, life has to bring, it just really all comes back to yourself and how you feel in your body. At least what I heard you say was, you know, how difficult that can be Mm -hmm. to live in the full expression of sensuality and pleasure if you have been very well conditioned into dissociating or Mm -hmm. um, being disconnected from your body or experiencing anxiety, depression. Like there are so many things that take us out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that folks know that like you can connect to your body even in the times when it feels like it's not perfect. You know, Mm -hmm. like I would argue as someone who has general anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder, I would argue that being in your body when you are in an anxious state as best as you possibly can is so much more profound than being out of it. And I understand that there is a there is a reason why we want to leave our bodies because it's not comfortable. It's not Mm -hmm. fun. Like when you're sitting with grief, you don't want to be, who wants to grieve? Grieve, Grieving is terrible. Who wants to be depressed? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Depression Mm -hmm. is awful. Uh, But these are the parts of us that need our attention and our acknowledgement most. Mm -hmm. And not from a place of like, all right, depression, I'm going to spiral down into the depths of hell and live there until I can get out of it. But more like, And this is going to sound like really, really like superficial, but I really mean it from like my heart, like more like, hey, anxiety or this part of my body, like my heart, I can feel you racing. I'm just going to breathe. What do you need Mm -hmm. in this moment? Mm 
What do I need in this moment? And even if it's something that you can't give yourself, if it's like, I need a nap and you're at your job and you can't nap, it's like, at least you listened to your body and you were being a partner with your body as opposed to an adversary that's like, I, I don't have time for this. Like you said you want a nap, mm-hmm. but I've got stuff to do. Like it's, it's about creating a relationship where we listen and we mm-hmm. turn our eyes to the parts of us that, that are hard. Because mm-hmm. another aspect of this is like, I hear a lot of people who are like, I want to feel pleasure every minute of every day. And I want to have the <laughs> best sex ever. And I want to have like squirting orgasms and stuff like that, <laughs> while also being completely dissociated from these parts of themselves that are hard. And unfortunately, y'all, you can't cherry pick. Like mm-hmm. where you numb yourself in one way, you're going to numb yourself in the others, other ways too. And I, that sucks. I wish there was a way to be like, okay, I'm going to numb with anxiety and depression, but with pleasure, I'm going to give it my full. And then I, I mean, if if someone has found the way to do that, please tell me, I would love to know. But in my (laughs) experience, it doesn't work like that. Like you can't Mm -hmm. cherry pick whatever you numb in one way, you are also numbing in the other ways. And so, so much of sensuality that I think makes people really uncomfortable and it's understandable why is about acknowledging the full spectrum of who you are not just the pleasurable parts, not just the soft and tender parts, but the hard parts, the scared parts, the parts that need you the most. And I think when we tend to ourselves in that way and we do that work in that way, a whole new world of possibility and pleasure potential comes through because we are learning to be literate in the language of our bodies. Building off of that, I wanted to kind of wrap up with just one another post that I I saw you bring up about aging and with mm. a something that I've kind of been going through. You know, on, on the flip side, I also you know was experiencing a lot of anxiety. I went through a really traumatic divorce and really felt the grief, really felt the sadness and the anger. Which of course, it's been a, a year; it still comes up pretty regularly, but. I will say now having kind of worked through it a year later, being, you know, in my mid thirties, single again, in a very different place. It's funny because I think a lot of people have this, this idea of like, oh, Jackie, it must be really hard for you to to be in your body right now. Or it must be really hard for you to, it must be scary to get out there dating again. And yeah, of course it's going to be a little scary or it must be it must be hard for you to connect with yourself or to feel sexy again or to feel sensual again. And I'm like, no, actually, not really. And it made me think about your post about aging and how what a beautiful comment you made about there's this expectation that society has on us that we have to be so hard on our aging bodies and that we see different stretch marks and we hear different cracks. And yes, we do those things, but we also have the beauty of recognizing certain things about our body that have not changed. And there's certain things with an aging body that are so beautiful. And sometimes I think whether it's society or social media or just our culture, putting these like narratives on us of like, oh, you have an aging body. That must be really hard for you to to come to terms with. And it's like, why don't we flip the narrative? What are some of the things that you love about your aging body? And I just, I loved how you made that point about being able to recognize things about your body that are the same and loving some of mm. those things that, that are changing. Yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that post. Uh, I sometimes forget what I post on the internet and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, I did talk about oh, that. Oh, we'll tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. That, I, I, I posted that from a really vulnerable place because I am also in my mid thirties. I just turned mm-hmm. 35 and I've been thinking about The lack of possibility models that I've had throughout my life around what it means to age in a very loving, gentle, graceful way. I've watched my mother, my aunts, my grandmothers really fight against aging, like this thing that's happening to me that I have to stop at all costs and it's not supposed to be happening. And I'm I I understand where that comes from. I think it comes from desirability politics. It comes from us being very, very observant of like what we as a culture do to older folks and elders. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be forgotten. We don't want to be irrelevant. So a lot of us are just chasing that youth serum because we're like, if I'm youthful, people will care. If I'm youthful, people will love me. 
So I get it. I get it. And I'm like, I want a different model like this. That's that's exhausting. I'm already exhausted and I haven't even really gotten into that full. Like I'm only 35, right? Like, totally. yeah, I was having this, yeah, I was having this moment like when I turned 35 and I'm like, bro, I'm not dying. Like I'm 35. <laughs> you know, like my. Yeah. Had, oh, we, a, can, we get I, it. Yes. I work Exhausting. in aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, like my my great grandmother lived until she was ninety nine, and I'm like, when I think about that, like <gasps> I lived only one third of my life. So like, mm-hmm. why? Where does it come from that I'm like, oh, I'm thirty five and going downhill from here? Like, <laughs> I'm still young and I'm still vital, and I get to yes. choose like what those stories are about my body and about what it means to age and not from a place of like trying to have denial about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm thinking about that, that scene in Mean Girls. Like, I'm not, I'm not a mom. I'm a cool mom. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not talking about like, like doing that kind of stuff, but just like, yeah, I'm 35 and like, yeah, I've got a little belly pooch and that's, that's what bodies do. So like, can I be with my body in a way that's loving and gentle? And can I like, can I give my body props for the fact that it has been Mm. with me through thick and thin since I was 35 or until Mm -hmm. I was 35? Like, that is a big thing. And I don't see a lot of us acknowledging our bodies in that way. So Mm -hmm. this is this is a very um, this is a very tender place for me around aging as I continue Mm -hmm. to age and feel this like panic I guess of like oh my god I'm 35 what the fuck like this is so intense but I'm trying to soften around it as much as I can and also just like be very public about this process that I'm undergoing around like just wanting to shift those narratives and and not be not be enslaved to these scripts that like I am getting older therefore I don't matter or my body Mm -hmm. is you know, irrelevant or I'm not desirable. Like I, I want to believe that I am enough as I am if I'm 35 or 65 or 95, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I needed to hear that today too. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that to myself as well. It's, it's an ongoing process. You know, it's hard. It's hard. It is. It is. It definitely I is. think about all the, all the millennials who are our age. Age. I don't know if mm-hmm. we count as older millennials. I it's like the jury is still out on that. But, Geriatric millennials. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the 1900s, y'all. <laughs> I know. TikTok is a dark place. We don't didn't recommend yeah. it. <laughs> God, remember life before internet? Oh, oh I know. I, I miss know. it sometimes. I, I really miss it sometimes. Me too. I, I I have a tender place in my heart for the people who have no idea what their mm-hmm, life was mm-hmm, like before mm-hmm. the internet. Like I mm-hmm. can remember playing outside mm-hmm. <laughs> and like yes. having pen pals. <laughs> pen pals. You know? Oh, yeah. Writing letters ink to paper. Yes. Yes. Nobody Imagine does that, that kids. <laughs> I know. The glory days. The glory but days. I, I really, I do hope that your work and the even just that like that post alone really it made me feel like it gave me permission to go to the gym that day and be like mm. girl you can still touch your toes that is amazing like you can That's you're right. 30 something and you can still touch your toes you can still go you know um you know walk this many miles you can lift this much weight it's like it really reframed the way that i even saw myself going to the gym that day. And so I hope that, like you said, there's really not a lot of models out there and enough reminders to love our aging bodies and to not just, not just accept them, but to, to love them and give them a little pat on the back and a little, a little, you know, thank you for, for all of the shit that it's gotten us through the last 30 years. Like a pandemic. Yeah. 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 And even if you're someone who can't, can't touch their toes or can't walk a bunch or run mm-hmm. yeah. like can you feel into the aliveness of your own body in this moment like mm-hmm. your heart is still beating what mm-hmm. a fucking miracle that is mm-hmm. like your lungs are still breathing that is incredible like can we acknowledge the the small but big acts of of generosity and stability that our bodies are constantly creating for us, even when there is tension or pain or disconnection, it's always mm-hmm. there for us. So we may as well like give it some love and some celebration when we can, and also create relationships where we slow down 
and feel our bodies. And if we can't say thank you to our bodies, if we can't love our bodies, because I'm a really big, like, I feel like, you know, body positivity, like loving your body is kind of, I don't want to say a cult because that's, that's a little harsh, but I, I do mm-hmm. think that it just, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of body neutrality. Like I, I know that for mm-hmm. some people it's impossible to get to a place where I fucking love my body. So like yeah. you right. can't even, if you're not in a space of being able to be like, I love my body, I love myself. Like, can you find a space of gratitude or can you find a space of like, mm-hmm. you're okay today? Like, yeah, I see you. And I acknowledge that. Right. And even if you can't, you know, you may be able to find a moment of I love my body on Wednesday morning after yoga class, but chances are you're not going to, you're not going to feel like that uh, every moment of the week. So I completely agree with the the body neutrality movement. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I read about that, I was like mind blown. I was like, oh shit. Wow. Like, I'm so glad someone brought this to my attention because it really taps into a place that uh, is just so much more realistic and sustainable. And totally. Yeah. It's like no one's gonna love their body all the time. Like Mm-mm. it's just not. Yeah, it's just a not especially in this economy, <laughs> in this society. It is so hard. Like it's it's a tall order to be asking mm-hmm. us all to be obsessed and ecstatically blissful mm-hmm. in our own bodies because being in our bodies is hard, especially mm-hmm. as we are moving through still a pandemic, mm-hmm. especially as mm-hmm. a lot of us are dealing with financial uncertainty because of inflation. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. there's so many reasons why it is hard to be in our bodies. And I think that's the one piece of the body positivity movement that has been hard for me because I'm like, oh, well, if I don't like my body today, that means I'm a bad person. No, it just means right. you're human. Yeah. 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 So I just want to end with one more quick question and then we'll kind of wrap up. <laughs> I'm curious your go-to or your favorite practice for sensuality for yourself. Mm. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> All right. Wow, give us your so top many. three then. Give us your top three. <laughs> what, what I will say is that for me, sensuality is not so much about an act. It's more about the intention behind the act. Mm-hmm. So I could literally be washing the dish, dishes. And if I have that intention of like, how how enjoyable it is to feel water on my hands as I'm scrubbing this dish and like how beautiful it feels to have like my feet firmly planted on the ground. And I'm looking out the window and I see birds. Like if, if I have that intention Mm -hmm. to come into Mm -hmm. a practice like that, any practice can be sensual, but I will say that my go-to ones are definitely baths or showers. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, honestly, anything with water, I've been really getting into swimming lately Um, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to swimming and I've been really enjoying the way that my body feels in water, like being held Mm -hmm. by the Mm -hmm. water. Um, That for me is is just a really lovely way to turn off my brain and get into my body. Another thing that I like to do is dancing. Um, I haven't done this in a long time. I really, really need to get back into it. But I used to teach uh, dance classes where I would help folks get into their sensualities, tap into their emotions um, with organic movement. And I called it sensual dance meditation. And um, that's basically just a dance meditation where you are turning on some music and you dance and you let your body move the way that it wants to move. And you're breathing and you're connected to your senses and you're also processing any hard emotions. So that's another one. And then the last one that I'll give um, as just a practice that anybody can do, uh, which is very simple is, um, you know, this process of sensuality and being in our bodies can only happen if we slow down and we pause and we're in our bodies. And um, one of my favorite practices to put that into motion is um, you lay flat on your back. There's no podcast on, there's no music. Um, I mean, maybe there's music if it's instrumental, but I really want to encourage people to just be in silence with your body. You lay flat on your back or you sit in a chair, you put one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly. And you just breathe and you just notice and you give yourself 60 seconds of that, five minutes of that, 30 minutes of that, whatever feels good for you. And um, notice sensation, notice thoughts, notice tension. Also notice what your body is asking for in that moment, because it's often when we slow down and we are quiet and we get still that our bodies speak to us. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a really great practice to begin this process of like, how does one get into their bodies when getting in your bodies feels really lofty? Like slow down and give your body some time. Let your body speak to you. And then after you sit in that practice, do some free writing about what came up. 
You know, like here are the thoughts mm-hmm. that I was thinking. Here are the emotions that was coming up. Here are the memories that were surfacing. And trust that that is all information that your body is trying to get you to pay attention to, to remember, or to ask you to think about. So yeah, those are my three. <laughs> Evian, this has been such a lovely and like refreshing conversation. So I can't thank you enough for taking time to come on the WOMED today. Where can people find you, find your podcast, order your book, everything? Mm, Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to speak with both of you. And yeah, you can find me on my website, evianwhitney.com. That's where you can find about who I am, what I do. Um, There's also some links on my website uh, where you can purchase my book, Sensual Self, which you can find pretty much wherever you find books. I love to tell people to patronize their independent bookstore rather than going to these mega bookstores like Amazon or Barnes & Noble if they can. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you can find Sensual Self wherever you find books. And you can also find my podcast titled Sensual Self wherever you listen to podcasts. And that is also just a great resource for people who are wanting to understand sensuality from this different framework of embodiment and pleasure and, you know, tuning into themselves rather than this over-sexualization that I think we've all been given. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I end every episode with a practice that people can do with their own time. And we've had some really beautiful conversations about pleasure and sexuality and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, those would be the three places that people can find me. Oh, wait. And also Instagram. I mean, I guess <laughs> I'm, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> that thing. At, <laughs> I'm at Instagram. Geriatric um, millennials. <laughs> yeah. Not TikTok, y'all. Please do not find me on TikTok. I no. do not do that. That's not my ministry. But I'm over <laughs> on Instagram at evian.whitney. I love Evian. They are such a like calming, beautiful, like I, I feel so bad for our listeners. Like maybe we should have a YouTube, but that they can't see how light filled they are. And like, they're just so warm. Right. And just such a presence, even through Zoom, even online. So Everyone, you know where to find Evian. They just said uh, the podcast and their book, Sensual Self, is where you can find any of your podcasts, any of your books. And of course, on Instagram, we'll be linking everything in the show notes. But thank you so much, Evian, for joining us on this episode of The WOMED. I know everyone is going to love this. Be sure to check them out on all of their platforms as we talked about before. And as always, every like, share, review, you know, send an episode to your friends. It helps the pot out tremendously. But, you know, Jack and I love you regardless. WOMED out. Out.